So yes, we're uh, following on with Acts of the Apostles again today and uh, today's sermon is entitled Leading by Example, Managing by Control. Leading by Example, Managing by Control and we're going to be looking in at Acts and today verse, uh, chapters 13 through to 15. Thea. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manane, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And the Acts 14 reading, in Lystra and Derbe. In Lystra there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him saw that he had faith to be healed and called out, stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowds saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Laodicean language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothings and rushed out into the crowd shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in it. In the past he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from the heavens and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples gathered round him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day he and Barnabas left for Derbe. And the reading from Acts 15, 6 to 19. The apostle and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion... Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that for some t- that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles should hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit to them just as he did for us. He did not discriminate between us and them for he purified their hearts with faith. Now then, why do you try to test God 
by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. No, we believed it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we were saved, just as they are. The The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul, telling about the signs and the wonders God had done amongst the Gentiles through them. When they had finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name among the Gentiles. The words of the prophet are in agreement with this, as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. In, this, in these readings, we find the word of the Lord. Thanks, Lord. Let's pray. Gracious and all-powerful one, we thank you for hearing your word. May we meditate on that word and find ourselves in its midst. May we be emboldened by your word, chastened by your word, and move forward with your word in this time, in this place, in this very space. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're working our way through the book of Acts. We've seen the unstoppable tide of the Holy Spirit and the advance of the good news, the word gospel, of course, in Greek. However, we also see in these chapters as Acts goes forward, we see the human, very human attempts to slow down and stop the spread of the good news to the Gentiles. And we also see some of the missteps also of the, of the um, disciples themselves. And this happens as a natural progression, if you like, from a group of people, disparate people, coming together and saying, let's create a church because the church gets organised and what happens when a church get or- gets organised? Well, points of view differ, don't they? Especially when it comes to tradition, when it comes to right ordering, or what we call righteousness. Embedded within these three chapters, that's 13, 14 and 15, we find lessons on management and leadership. And these lessons are there for us today and it's very much where NBU, New Beginnings Uniting, finds itself today. So I want to explore a couple of the key verses. But let's understand this first about management and leadership. We need good managers, we need good leaders. A leader, as you know, is is obviously a person who leads people. And leaders tend to be future-oriented, right? They're looking into what is still to come. 
they often command authority and influence the actions going forward. They inspire and they have vision. We're working on the vision statement today. So you might pray for us. There'll be a group of us downstairs or up there, wherever's warmest, <laughs> having lunch and working on that vision of who we are as NBU. Well, if that's a, that's a leader, then a manager, on the other hand, is someone who needs to control, organise, maintain, manage people, manage situations, manage activities. Leaders take risks. Managers cautiously plan. Leaders inspire change. Managers are there to bring stability. And we need both types in the church. And a single person can sometimes have the same role or crossover roles. Let's have a look then what we see of good management and good leadership in these three passages that Thea brought to us, but indeed across those three chapters. So if you haven't read Acts lately, particularly those three chapters, there's a lot in there and we're just taking little bits and pieces today, but there's a lot there for NBU. So at the end of chapter 12, we're introduced to Mark. Mark is also known as John Mark. Mark, of course, is a future missionary and the gospel writer. The impossible, the impossibles, the apostles doing the impossible. I like that. That's a Freudian slip. The apostles, <laughs> I nearly did it again, including by this time Paul, have returned to base camp. And base camp is where in the book of Acts? Jerusalem. Right. Now, shortly afterwards... Paul and Barnabas are commissioned to lead a missionary journey by the prophets and the teachers of the church in Antioch. Importantly, they are also commissioned by the Holy Spirit. And there's these outward signs. I love this. When I was ordained, one of the best moments up in Moree, wasn't it, was kneeling down with all of these people around me, laying hands upon me and praying for me. It was just the most special moment and I could feel the power of the Holy Spirit there. I wasn't fasting, but that's the other thing they do. <laughs> fasting, praying, laying on of hands by these agents of God. It's an important step and, of course, we replicate that today when we commission, we call, we send a leader into the mission field. And it's not just about the right ordering or righteousness, it's about empowering, it's about authorising that person for that task. In the readings from Acts 14, we witness the miracle healing of a man crippled since birth. The hubbub that this creates leads Paul and Barnabas to remind people that it's God's work through them, not their work through themselves. What Paul and Barnabas are doing is not just saying this is God's, but they're showing their own humility. They show that great depth of humility, which is an attribute of great leadership. Humility. It's not about me. It's about God and what God does through me or through us. 
The third reading from chapter 15 is about the Apostles' Council in Jerusalem. And we see something of how the leaders manage disputes on doctrine and membership. We see consultation in determining right ordering. Everyone is given a fair hearing and decisions are communicated well. That's key. That's key, right? Decisions are communicated well and everyone is given a fair hearing. Everyone. So this is not a legalistic process. We can almost hear the words spoken in the gathering, the law cannot save you. Only by grace through faith in Jesus Christ can we be saved. That's what they're doing. Love and understanding are the winners in that meeting as they exhibit, and this is a favourite maxim of mine from the Uniting Church, unity in diversity, unity in diversity. But it's not all smooth sailing, is it? Because there is opposition, there are those misguided souls, those misguided managers, those misguided leaders. And the disciples come up against opposition constantly, as we've heard from preachers in previous weeks, as we've heard from Lachlan and Kerry and Liz and myself. If it's not Herod and Herod's cronies creating problems. It's the Pharisees, it's the sorcerers, it's the traditional Jews, and it's even the fickle followers. Say that fast ten times. The fickle followers. And it's even the devil himself. Have a look at Acts 13.10. It's Satan as well trying to destroy what they're trying to build up. But the Pharisees, let's look at them for a moment. The Pharisees wanted to manage the disciples by controlling them and turning others against them in acts of violence. And it's because of their jealousy. And those words are actually used in Acts 13, 44. Liz last week spoke about prejudging, fear of the unknown, people who are blinded, by their own prejudice, who turn inwards and then turn their hate outwards. You see, the Pharisees lacked the courage, the wisdom to debate the disciples. They lacked the reasoning and the focusing on faith. They wouldn't sit down. They wouldn't work things through the way the disciples did in chapter 15. Why? because they were only interested in keeping things the way they always had been. And that involved keeping their own privileges, their own position and their own power. Some of this might sound familiar. For those of you who've been around churches for a long period of time, you'll know some of these attitudes actually are there in the church. Sometimes it's an undercurrent and sometimes they are overt. And certainly Thea and I in our um, recent years have been sent to churches where there have been some of those things happening to sort them out. 
But we often like to keep things the way they are, don't we? We all do that. We like the things that are traditional. We like the things that we know are going to... A is going to lead to B and so forth. And we know that especially in a world where the world is changing, where we feel like we're losing control because we've got poor health or we've advanced in age or whatever it should be, that things will not always remain the same. And neither will the church. Neither will a good church. You see, we, as the church, can either bring about helpful change or we can get swept up in change, change that is beyond our control and that may not be helpful. Who benefits if a church closes? I would argue Satan benefits. This is something that distinguishes those who are leaders who see the potential in change from others who are followers, those who won't get out of the boat. Remember we spoke about that the first week? Followers of the old way, the established way, when all the time God is saying, as he says in Isaiah 43, 19, see, I am doing a new thing. Change requires good leaders, not managers. But it's not only the Pharisees who make poor leaders in these passages. John Mark in Acts 15.37 is given some stick, he's given some criticism for deserting the missionary Paul. He displays a lack of courage and commitment that is necessary for good leadership. Courage, commitment. Paul, as we know, Paul, the leader, as well as the missionary, takes risks. And yes, at times, <laughs> like all leaders, gets stoned, gets beaten up, but he is both committed and courageous. Interestingly, Mark is redeemed by Paul later in Colossians 4, verse 10, and is given the task by God of writing the gospel that, of course, bears his name. So we don't need to be stuck, and John Mark is not stuck forever and is redeemed and becomes the person that God wants him to be. In these chapters, it is, however, largely Paul, Barnabas and the members of the Jerusalem Council who model good leadership traits, which we learn today. Firstly, there is collaboration. There's collaboration, there's accountability as well. Paul went with Silas and Barnabas went with Mark. Although it started as a parting of the ways, they both went in twos. There was no, what's the word, lone ranger, I suppose. They were accountable and the disciples themselves, as we know, when Jesus sent them off, he sent them off on the missionary journeys in twos or more. Accountability, collaboration. But the beauty of that is you get twice the amount of reach as well. And it means too that you create a succession plan should one of those people fall off the mortal coil. And of course, Paul did die and his work was taken over by his offsiders. 
So there's good reasons as well why we do things not on our own but with others. So secondly, what do we learn about that committee and about leadership? We learn that apostle leaders always have an eye to the future, as we've mentioned. If the Jews won't recognise the good news, go to the Gentiles. Knowing the future is in new converts, we too have a duty to young people, potential leaders, young leaders, to favour them, to grow that next generation. Kerry introduced me to a book called Growing Young and it's all about the importance of nurturing the young people within our church and in the community to become people of the church. A good leader, thirdly, meets people where they're at. I love the cafe on Wednesday. Very few people actually get in here into the sanctuary but you know where the service is? I mean the worship service, out there. It's in the kitchen. It's in the hall. It's around the tables. You meet people where they are at. And in Acts 16, if you wanted a, a rather graphic example, Timothy is circumcised. And that's the Jewish practice but he and Paul are going to a place where there are Jews. So he thinks, well, when in Rome, do as the Romans do, if you like, uh, which is an, a, a saying that's attributed to St Ambrose of the early Western church. He wants to make it easier, as easy for people to accept the way as possible. And if circumcision is one of those ways, well, so be it. He meets people where they are at. Fourthly, as I've said now a few times, a good leader looks to the future. But a good leader is also prepared to have the hard conversations in the here and the now. Look at the speech by Paul and Barnabas to the Jews in chapter 13 from verse 46 or the interaction between Paul and the sorcerer in chapter 13 verses 4 to 11, the hard discussions here and now. Finally, good leaders find their niche and they lead according to their God-given gifts and their personal skills because a good leader can't do everything and shouldn't be expected to do everything. Paul gathered people and instructed them. But then he left the leaders in Colossae, Corinth, Galatia, Macedonia and Greece to take the next step. He handed on the baton. It was not a possession for him to own. He was there for a time and then handed on the baton. But remember this. The leader's leader is the same leader of us all and it's God, Father, Son and Spirit. God may have plans on how you do that work that won't necessarily coincide with your plans or your perceived skills. There's probably times in your own faith journeys where 
you've had to step out of the boats thinking, but that's not my gift, that's not my skill. But if God calls, you do what God says at the end of the day. And this is probably what Kerry was speaking about when she talked about Stephen and Philip and what God did for them, with them and to them on their important single day as recorded in Acts. As a reminder that God's ways are not always our ways, whether we're in active leadership or not, I'm going to leave you with a discussion read by uh, myself. I'm going to play the part of Max. Thea, of course, is going to play the part of God, as she always does. <laughs> Come up here, love. And I'll say that this is a short play by Max Licardo. And it's interesting, I've, through my time as a minister, I've read all the theology books and books this thick and so forth that make great book, you know, doorstoppers and so forth. And what I'm finding recently is that I'm coming back to the really early ones. And they were people like Max Licardo and Philip Yancey and uh, Mark Iaconelli, yes, who wrote a wonderful book called uh, Developing a Childlike Faith. And I think they're, they're beautiful books because they speak to the core of what we, who we are and what we should be doing and then God managing the rest. So here's the story. It's a Sunday morning. We're in the pews, okay? And I'm Max and God suddenly turns up. And I say this to God. I said, God, I want to do great things. You do? You bet. I want to teach millions. I want to fill the Sydney cricket ground. I want all the world to know your saving power. I dream of the day when... Well, well that's great, Max. In fact... I can use you today after oh, the service. Oh, that's super, Lord. Super, super. How about some radio, TV work or an engagement to speak at the Shire Council at the very least or maybe even Parliament? Hmm. Yes. Well, that's not exactly what I had in mind. See that fellow sitting next to you? Yes. He needs a ride home. Uh, what? He needs a ride home. And while you're at it, one of those older ladies sitting near you is worried about getting a refrigerator move. Why don't you drop in there this afternoon and... Uh, but, but God, but what about the world? Think about it, Max. Where do you think the world begins? Thank you. As I was reading over my notes before the service, I was thinking about... Mick there at the sound desk, Eric at the uh, door there and, you know, Faye in the kitchen and Josh getting the bread and Thea putting the communion elements together and Kerry here for the music and everyone for the music <laughs> and all the little things that have to come together in order for a service to begin even, let alone to flourish. So where do we start in God's plan? With the person sitting next to you. Let's pray. Creator God, 
Remind us always to be uplifters of leaders. May our leaders never have to carry burdens alone. Grant us grace to be their providers as, we, as they provide for us spiritually. May our leaders be known to be yours even by how they spend their resources. Your word says where our treasure is is where our heart is. May their hearts always be in you always. Thank you for hearing and answering our prayers. Thank you for guiding us on paths of righteousness and towards truth. We pray now that you will help guide our church leaders as they make decisions for our congregation. Bless them and guide them to the opportunities where they can be of most service in our community. Please give them the knowledge of what is right as they make the decisions that will guide our community. Help them to know what will uplift our souls and guide more people towards the path of truth. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you.